by the time that you hear the next episode of Elwood City Limits, I'm happy to say that both Lucas, my co-host, and I, Will Young, will be completely vaccinated from the COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Our second dose mm-hmm. is on the way. Mine's coming on Sunday, and uh, Lucas, I, I'm sure you're not too far I'm, behind I'm, that. I, yeah, I'm going to be on the uh, the 14th, to be exact, so next Wednesday. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know about you, Will, I'm going to be a chimera. Um, I'm, I'm mixing and matching. We're going to be a a vaccine cocktail, uh, (laughs) because I'm starting off with that Pfizer, you know, that German engineering. Yes, sir. We're finishing it off with the Moderna. How about yourself? Well, see, I, for whatever reason, I think uh, let's call it superstition because after I, 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 Pfizer was my first one, as you said, German engineering. And then I swiftly picked up a Moderna appointment but then for some reason I got a little nervous and I was like you know what I better just keep it in the family I better keep it in the same under the same umbrella even though I should say as my wife pointed out to me there is no evidence that there's any difference between getting your second shot with a with a different vaccine like you don't have to do that but I just I guess I just kind of wanted that uh, that verisimilitude that kind of conceptual symmetry uh for both of mine so it just means I have to drive a little bit further than I would normally have to but uh, yeah two Pfizer's Pfizer gang I I I was surprised you got another Pfizer appointment they're getting hard to come by around here because it's one of the only vaccines like the really young people can get so Mm -hmm. they uh that's like one of the ones that it's that's why there's so many Moderna appointments going around uh, my dad is the rarest breed of them all. He's going to be half AstraZeneca, half Pfizer, uh, which some say is like, that's like the magic cocktail. That's how to have the most defense, apparently, uh, <laughs> weirdly enough. Well, I'm glad that he's following up the AZ with something that's a little bit, quote unquote, more trusted. But yes, very excited to be able to be fully vaccinated. By the end of July, uh, I will be completely in the clear, as mm. will as will Lucas, by the start of August. And it's really exciting. So I just wanted to give you guys the update as we get into another episode of Elwood City Limits, the Episodic Arthur podcast. Um, and we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about besides the episode. So I wanted to get... Right into it, Lucas. We've got a new alert, uh, courtesy of some of the hardworking people on Arthur Twitter. I'm talking. I'm talking about people like at its peebs, who I believe is one of our is uh, pretty mm. cool stairs on our mm. Patreon, as well as PBS uh, Kid Sis on Twitter. Breaking the news that there will be a new Arthur special premiering on Labor Day this year, which is September sixth. And it's the seventh one-hour special, and it's likely the last one because, of course, uh, the kind of unconfirmed, the confirmed unconfirmed news going around for the last, I'd say, almost a year is that Arthur will be ending very soon. Of course, we have the Arthur book coming out in January, which is the kind of retrospective of uh, the show and of the character. And this new Arthur special is going to be called Arthur's First Day, which, of course, led to speculation, especially in our Discord, of what that could mean. Could it be Arthur's first day of fourth grade? Could it be Arthur's first day of kindergarten? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. To to commemorate Labor Day, could it be Arthur's first day in a labor union? (laughs) Who knows? That'd be great. I would love it. it. It could be anything. It could be Arthur's first day of high school, his first day of college, his first day 
as a father. I don't know. <laughs> we're going to have to we're going to have to find out. That does get me thinking, of course, as we are about a month away from uh, the Elwood City Limits birthday. We're going to have to I, I, I've got some plans that mm. I'm going to get together with you, Lucas, soon about doing perhaps our Ooh. next Arthur commentary track. Off, off mic plans. Mm-hmm. We, we got things in the works. You better believe it. And people, well, they have things in the work for us because they we got so much email. Last week, I don't believe we had any email. And this week, we have all of it over at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Uh, you can, of course, send in your email. We appreciate everybody who did, such as Veronica Trum, who says, Hey, Will and Lucas. I'm based out of Durham, North Carolina. I wanted to let you know that I love the podcast. I used to be an entertainment writer, having written for places like Screen Rant and Book Riot, where I focused on kids' cartoons and books. But I transitioned into social media in the health and wellness space a few years back. But it's been great to have some of this fun fandom back in my life when I listen to the podcast. After listening to some of the newer episodes, I decided to start from the beginning, and I'm currently in the season four section of the show. That being said... When I did listen to one of the newer episodes, I think it was Will who talked about having his earwax drained at the doctor. I had been having an issue with my right ear, and so when I went to the doctor's office a few weeks later, I asked if they could drain my right ear. It was so gross and so amazing, and now I have what feels like superhero hearing capabilities. Just wanted to share that bit of appreciation because I honestly didn't know this was something basic a doctor could help you out with. Thanks for all that you do with the podcast, as well as providing the great life advice. Well, uh, Veronica, you're welcome, and I'm happy to have uh, bestowed super hearing on someone. Uh, I was thinking about getting my ear flushed recently. If I had a family doctor, I might. I remember that conversation because that's when I learned that you shouldn't do the crazy candle thing. Yes, that's right. Oh, no. (laughs) A professional should be the one to clear out your earwax. Uh, even the cotton swabs in your ear is not necessarily a great idea. I just, I mean, I, I've, I'm bad for that. I stick my finger in my ear all the time because, of course, I have headphones on all the time mm. between mm. work and between, so it's. I'm sure it's just a a, a war crime up yeah. there in my ears. Not, not only that, you're also a little stinker. Oh, he's putting <laughs> his fingers in his ears. Yeah, no, I'm a little stinky baby. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's me all over. Anyway, Veronica, glad to have helped. I don't know about... You know, life advice, but, you know, every once in a while, <laughs> we have a good one. Our next one comes from Z. I'm proud to say that I caught up with all 150 episodes of ECL. That's right. We actually forgot to make a big deal about the fact that our last episode was episode 150. Wow. Uh, uh, congratulations, Will. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know. It's just, it's been easier to... It's been easier and more meaningful to count the years rather than the yeah. episodes. And especially because I forget because, like, there's the Patreon episodes and, mm, and so we're, like, yeah. alternating. And the the feed isn't necessarily accurate because there's all this kind of extra stuff in the feed as well. Um, we'll have our big Sully uh, when we, we're commemorating five years. Yes, absolutely. Um, I always like to rewatch them to pass the time. This is something – This okay, this is not – this is not a call out. This is not a negative thing. I've just noticed that people um, in our Discord, in our emails, and different people, so it's not just one person, have been saying that they've been watching the podcasts. Like, it, it, that, that's it's fine. It's just that's not the verb that I usually put. To, like I, I watch YouTube. I watch YouTube videos. There's just nothing visually interesting about our <laughs> podcast because it's not a visual medium. But I don't know. Maybe this is just something that younger people 
are 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 doing and or, i or, or maybe they they always listen watch the episode after after or before they listen right so they have that mm-hmm. the, i don't know i i'm not sure uh, you know the world of podcasts like things like h3 and joe rogan there's always these video components so i i suppose i could see how someone could use the terms interchangeably it's probably better that we do that we don't do a video podcast component. First of all, because it would be a lot more work, and second of all, <laughs> you'd be looking at me. Uh, I literally just showered before this, and I didn't put a shirt on. So uh, yeah, I don't think you want to to look at that. I'm pretty sure you don't. Yeah, I don't. The people don't need to see you putting your hands in your ears. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a few episodes ago, the the second season twelve premiere, the review of Never Never Never, where DW rages out in the rain. Lucas pointed out that it was out of Shakespeare. The episode was based on Shakespeare's King Lear. I oh my goodness. An, I watched an interview with DJ, again, watched. I watched an interview with DJ Bob, your good friend. He interviewed Arthur writer Peter Hirsch, and Hirsch confirmed this. So, Lucas, you were right. Wow. First, uh, Kurosawa's Ran, and now Arthur, uh, in terms of adaptations of King Lear. By the way, DJ Bob over at the DJ Bob show has some excellent content, not just some Arthur related interviews. He did he did interview uh, head writer Peter Hirsch. He interviewed Michael Yarmish, which was a great interview. He also has ongoing interviews with a lot of people from children's media. It's really great. Like some of his stuff is really great. And I really would uh, drive you over there. DJ Bob, the DJ Bob show. The last episode, The Chronicles of Buster, The Chronicles of Amazia, also reminded me of The Chronicles of Narnia. Yes, I wanted to throw this out there because a lot of people in our Discord and otherwise made mention of the fact that The Chronicles of Amazia in the last episode, not just based off The Lord of the Rings, which we made a big deal about, The Chronicles of Narnia. is, And in fact, that's a more direct reference uh, from the name, I would imagine. Yeah, it's a little bit of an amalgamation of the two. Like we have a little bit of like the Mr. Tumnus when Arthur falls through in his dreams, and of course, in the namesake, it's it's like Chronicles of Narnia, Chronicles of Amazia. But some of the other uh, set pieces are so out of Lord of the Rings, like the kind of Arthur's giant glasses being the eye of Sauron. Yeah, and yeah, such. yeah. Our next one comes from Ingrid. Hello, friends. My name's Ingrid. I'm a lifelong Arthur fan. Arthur was always on after school, so I watched it every day as an after-school ritual. I did this all through school, elementary, middle, and high. Sadly, once I started college, it fell out of my routine. A couple nights ago, I was driving home from work while listening to ECL and realized that listening to the podcast after work is similar to watching Arthur after school. Well, thank you. I just listened to the episode about the lice outbreak, and one of you said something I'd like to comment on. During that episode, you were going through emails and talking about what each Arthur the character would major in college when George was mentioned you guys said he'd probably get into woodworking and one of you said that there's no major for puppeteering I would like to tell you that's not true the University of Connecticut has bachelor and master's degrees in puppet arts I think it's basically the only college that does but I think George would be a great fit for something like that he would have the opportunity to combine his woodworking talents with his childlike imagination I can also see him taking a puppeting apprenticeship under the watch of Mr. Ratburn well, there you go. Proven wrong. And uh, once again, I'm glad for our eagle-eared listeners. I would never have guessed that there was a, a master. There's literally a master of puppets out there. They're pulling the strings. Wow. wow. Twisting your mind and smashing your dreams. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Our next one comes from patron Vinny Cataldo. 
Hey friends, loving every episode of Arthur and For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. I was going to send in an email for my birthday, June 19th, but got lazy and forgot to send one. Well, happy belated birthday, Vinny. I have a quick question. Is there an episode of Arthur that you wonder why it was made? Like an episode that was just really cringe or really bad that you just wonder if it was worth making? It might sound like a difficult question, so if it's tough to answer, I understand. Loving the reviews of season 12. Can't wait for the next few episodes. Uh, thanks for all the laughs and all the fun in the Discord. Thank you, Vinny. You're one of our uh, one of our active contributors, and we love hearing from you. So, an Arthur episode that you wonder why they made it. I th- I don't think we've quite reached we've can't quite we haven't quite reached that level of like so bad. Like, why did they do this? Yeah, it's true. I I would say that you know cringe and bad are mutually exclusive concepts right like not everything that's bad is cringe and not everything that's cringe is bad sure um so that is actually kind of an interesting line of of thinking you know what is thus far the most cringe arthur episode and i'm trying to mm. think there was there was uh, there was an episode i can't remember if it was this season or the season prior where i remember saying that like I was totally, like, ideologically opposed to the conclusion the episode was making. Um, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, if we really go far back, and, and me and you didn't see eye to eye on this, but I thought it was pretty cringe when, um, um, who was it? Was it Rattles was trying to do a dangerous stunt and then Binky stopped him? Yes. Uh, I thought that was a little bit cringe, uh, uh, though I understand uh, your perspective in that, you know, he only had Rattles' safety at heart. Uh, but, oh, gosh, there was an episode where it was... I, I, I can't remember what it was, but there was one that I was really, I disagreed with uh, the point it was trying to make. Mm. Uh, and that's what I would call cringe, not based, you know, not like the based Arthur, Arthur episodes. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Will? Do you have one recently you can think of? Nothing really comes to mind. And like I said there, I don't think, and this is a lot of episodes to remember, so apologies if I've said this before, but I don't think there's been ever been something yet that's been like, why the why the hell did they make this? Like, what is this? Like, this is like in the back of my head, there might have been one where I was like, like really like Ugh, they missed the mark with this, but it's not coming to my memory, and I apologize. But thankfully, Arthur has really hardly ever, if at all, scraped the it's bottom true. of the barrel like that. I would say it's it's a testament to why we do this show. Um, is that it's very rarely cringe. It's usually based. I appreciate that you said that in the whitest way that you could. Like, it's like it's one thing for me to be like, like I'm still a little bit like I remember when people started using based when, you know, Lil B was really popular. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he still is. But then it, but then it started to become more of a thing. And mm-hmm. then it was just like, oh, that makes me feel old. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that it it's not it, like if I tried to say if I tried to literally follow, follow you and say based, it would really come across as pain. I, I, I just think it's the online colloquialism. It's just like, you know, the opposite, the opposite of cringe is based. I, I suppose I don't think I'll ever feel natural saying it. And it's just I it, it's not it's 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 an I'm old thing. You yeah. know, D- dare you dare you say it makes you cringe? Now we're it really... makes me cringe thinking about me saying it. Like I, it's like <laughs> we're... you know, you know what? It's like when I hear little kids, like little little kids these days, oh. they they love to do "Let's Go" when yes. they're excited. That makes me cringe, but just because I am getting older and I don't understand it. It's because of oh well, uh, this one I'm happy to clear up for you, Will. It's because yeah. of the baby. Hmm. The baby says "Let's go," and little kids love the baby. 
Uh, and Gotta so love him. He's the baby. He's the baby. Exactly. Let's go. And so that's that's why they do that. Okay, I'm beginning. Sheesh. No, oh, now I'm just no, now no. I'm really okay. just trying to pile that's, it on. Okay, okay, that time I really cringed. <laughs> Please no. All right, let's let's keep going here. This one is from Diana. Hey guys, I'm running to give my two cents on Will's theory on hyperfixation. As a neurodivergent person, I greatly relate to hyperfixation and phase behavior, as I would call it. I would actually consider Arthur to be one of my lifelong obsessions. I do agree that in the episode, Buster's love of the Amazia series was not fundamentally wrong, nor should he be shamed or torn away from it. If anything, Arthur is seen tolerating Buster's fascination and even watched part of the series with him. I did appreciate the call-out on Buster's behavior at the end of the episode. Just because he has a hyperfixation on a subject does not mean that he is also not being selfish. He would only want to talk about Amazia, but not about what others wanted to talk about, as evident from him not paying attention to others speaking. Not to mention how he endangered Arthur by not paying attention and not giving him rope slack. Even though I have hyperfixated on Arthur my whole life, it does not mean I am going to info dump Arthur trivia on my friends every time I see them. While I got a good laugh at seeing Buster be obsessed, I think the episode did an okay job at balancing it out by showing that friends do not exist to only listen slash watch slash talk about what Buster wants. I may be judging Buster a little harsh since he is only eight. I have learned in my own experience that only wanting to talk or do what I want can alienate others and make them not want to be around me. I do think it would be super cool if the Amazia series was shown again as a long-term interest to Buster in the background. Of course, that's only my opinion. One last thing. For Lucas, I highly enjoyed your previous shout-out to the beloved Europop classic, Castles in the Sky. Have you listened to Castles in the Sky by DJ Satomi? In my opinion, I like DJ Satomi's version better. It gives me precious, precious DDR feels. Well, thank you for the recommendation. It's it's Castles in the Sky is one of those um, house classics where it's kind of hard to keep straight all the different remixes of it. Um, I've been actually trying to listen to uh, electronic music a lot more lately. I've been getting into uh, drum and bass and jungle. Been listening to a lot mm. of jungle, Will. Um, so I'm definitely going to peep that remix of Castles in the Sky. But yeah, it's one of those songs that's been remixed so much. I, I don't really know which version's which. Or I, 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 I remember I could find the original one when we did that episode because I had that specific gag I wanted to do. But thank you for the rec, and that's thank you for the very insightful email. I think that really summed up um, kind of a lot of the questions we had about that episode and how well it kind of dealt with that subject matter. The good thing is that across the Discord and the emails, we got different levels of responses. In fact, our last email here is another one. It's from Lissa. Hey, Will, Lucas, and Mike. I'm writing in to comment on a question from the most recent episode which was how that moral held up. For context, I have ADHD and autism myself. Not only does this episode remind me of what a special interest can be like, it also reminds me of what hyperfixations can be like for people with ADHD. The hyper isn't just hyperactive, it's also hyperfocus, which is where your brain can become fixated on a certain subject for any amount of time, and it's hard to not focus on said thing. This literally could be anything, but is often something like a TV show, book, movie, etc. It's similar slash arguably the same as special interests. This episode is on my semi-joking list of evidence of Buster having ADHD for a reason. I relate so much to Buster in this episode, and it hits closer to home with how I am. My best example is one of my current hyperfixations, My Hero Academia. I've watched this show so much, and it's really hard for me to not talk about it or bring it up in a lot of conversations. Of course, I think about other things, but my mind brings it up so much. Similar to Buster, I've had multiple people ask me to not talk about it, and it's hard not to even after that. This applies to multiple things in my life. 
For me, the moral is kind of iffy, while on one hand, I like the moral of being there for your friends, because no matter how hyperfixated I am on something, I can't repeatedly be a bad friend and expect them to not care. I also understand that sometimes people don't want to hear about what I'm hyperfixated on or what my special interest is, and that's valid as well. However, where I'm more negative is Buster no longer being interested on it at the end of the episode. It gives the impression that it was something he just needed to get over, which while it's not the worst, it does sadden me because for a lot of people with ADHD slash autism, they don't just get over special interests and hyperfixations. Plus, the issue wasn't him being super focused on the show. The issue was that he neglected other parts of his life and wasn't being a good friend. While I know Buster canonically doesn't have ADHD, it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth from my own experiences and people expecting me to just stop being focused on something. I'm interested to hear the thoughts of others on the spectrum as well as other people with ADHD who may have also related or even didn't relate to Buster in this episode. This among many others not mentioned, I want to include this to try to help people understand that hyperfixations can take many forms and it isn't just fictional media or things like animals and trains. I hope this email could help educate on some things as well as give insight from the perspective of someone with autism. Well, thank you very much, Lissa. I mm, appreciate this. And I appreciate everybody's feedback in this matter. We had a couple of things that we were looking for your in, for your feedback on. So if you haven't listened to episode 150 yet, please give it a listen. And if you have anything to say, uh, we welcome it, either by email, Discord, or get to us on our social channels. Also, I have a quick beef with the podcast. A while back during your review of the Frensky family fiasco, I was shocked at you all insulting the good name of Russian slash Thousand Island dressing, the sauce Francine essentially made when she combined ketchup and mayo. Do y'all not have Rubens up there? If so, what sauce do y'all put on them? Because Thousand Island dressing is the only sauce for them, in my humble opinion. I don't know if I've ever had a Reuben sandwich. I want to. But I don't know if I have. I I've I've definitely had a Reuben sandwich. Now I will say this: Thousand Island dressing is not just ketchup and mayonnaise. There's also a sweet pickle relish. Mm. Uh, and I I and this is a little bit of cope, but I would go as far as to say that you know the sweet pickle relish is is definitely adding another dynamic. You know, once we start to get more than two items, maybe I, I have a little bit more time. Um, for this this mayonnaise mixed with ketchup, but just there's there's something about just ketchup and mayonnaise. I I, I feel like if it still has that like big red coloration, like especially if there's more ketchup than there is mayonnaise, maybe. And I know this is me going back now that I'm getting cornered on these beliefs, but maybe <laughs> maybe maybe if it's mostly mayonnaise with with a dash of ketchup, and we're still kind of more white than we are red, I, I'm okay with it, but. There, I, I maybe I, I I have to go back and look how it's portrayed in the episode, but I do remember being revolted by <laughs> its portrayal in the episode. It was such a shock to the system, and I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought that I didn't come down so hard on it in the end, but maybe I did. To which case, I want to say I understand now that you can mix these kinds of elements together and it come out with something. I mean, there's a lot of mayonnaise-based sauces that I really like, like aioli, oh my for gosh. example. Aioli's yeah, exactly. great. So, Aioli, hollandaise. Yeah, yeah. So I apologize if I was a little. It's it's just you, you put mayonnaise in, and and also like I put mayonnaise and ketchup on burgers, so I don't know who I'm fooling here. So you know you're right. I I, I apologize. It was just something I honestly wasn't ready for it. And now that I am, perhaps I was a little bit more hesitant. I would love to try that on a Reuben sandwich. Maybe I will. Yeah, I once I I'm learned something. Vaccinated. 
uh, Ruben sandwiches, by the way, will I may I recommend the Italian Club or the Italian Market rather uh, mm, has a, has a yes. great Ruben um, or the um, oh what's it called. Uh, there's also a deli in town. Is it really Hall- good. Halle Deli? Halle Deli also has a the, <laughs> the, the Jewish style deli that has a Ooh. great Reuben sandwich as well. So yeah, uh, maybe we'll both get Reuben sandwiches and eat our words about our disparaging remarks about Russian dressing. That would be that sounds lovely. Maybe we'll do that. <laughs> maybe we'll do that when we uh, I'll, I'll I'll come to your place with a couple of Reubens yeah. under my arm. Well, thank you, everybody. We really appreciate your correspondence wherever it came from. And that's ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. That's our email. We also want to give a shout out to our lovely patrons who we have, of course, been continuing on the trek of the PBS Kids Bookworm Bunch. Um, If you'd like to hear a little bit of a sample of what we've been talking about so far, you can uh, check it out on the free feed, a preview. And our patrons have been ponying up uh, as little as a dollar a month, but we appreciate it. Uh, every little bit we we really do and we want to give a couple of a few of them a shout out here on patreon.com slash elwood city limits uh such lovely people as uh veronica trum who was the one who sent in her email we also have people like jess coulter casey cosmos hannah kitten daniel Uptograph, lee goldson lily w andrew power rachel pearson uh, Kristen Sierra S. Shayna Bennett, going to the second page. Uh, Jake Bailey, Stella, Christine Wong, Teresa, and let's say Froppy. How's it going, Froppy? Thank you, everybody, for your support, and we will be continuing to make content. Our most recent Patreon episode was on Seven Little Monsters, which we very much enjoyed talking about. And, of course, more Patreon content to come, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that after we talk about this Arthur episode. We're talking first about the cherry tree, and Arthur is here to tell us, you know, Lucas, there's a lot going on in trees that you might not know. There's a home. They make homes for birds, homes for the bugs. Um... We see a bug and it's definitely dead. <laughs> like when he, so when Arthur's doing this introduction, it's like it's where the birds make their home. It's also where bugs make their home. And the bird looks in the hole and the bugs in there and it's cowering. And we never see that bug again. That bug's yeah. dead. That bug's another, dead. Yet another on-screen Arthur murder. <laughs> um, it's also cats love to climb trees, like Nemo, and kids like to climb trees as well. In fact, Lucas. What would life be like without them? And as Arthur is in the tree, uh, it disappears with a pop as other trees begin to disappear. To which Arthur looks at the screen and says, good thing that'll never happen. Right? I know. This is this was <laughs> extra kind of uh, apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, it, it was reminiscent of, I don't know why I have B-Movie on the mind lately, but uh, if you remember <laughs> in the last third of B-Movie when it turned I do not a- remember. I've never seen it, and I... Doubt I ever will. Will, you've never seen B-Movie? No, I've never seen B-Movie. That's that's so crazy to me. That is so... I feel like... Uh, out completely outside of my control, I've seen B-Movie multiple times. I'll tell you this. I think I've seen a YouTube video that's like every time they say B in B-Movie, it gets faster. It's like yes, three minutes long. Yes. So technically, I've seen wow. B-Movie. 
Well, Will, I gotta say, um, you're missing out. Uh, B-movie kind of gets crazy in its last third, and it kind of ceases to be a movie about bees, and it turns into, like, a courtroom drama, like a Jonathan Grisham-style uh, yeah. court, court drama. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, bees, it's bees suing about us using their honey. I'm aware of more than I'd like to be about yeah. B-movie, yes. despite never yes. having seen it officially. Yes. Human bee relations aside... Um, so yeah. a, a, a part of that is that I think all the bees go on strike um, and we kind of see the apocalyptic uh, uh, kind of after effects of, of what about what would a world be like without bees? Um, and that's what this was. I can't believe you haven't seen B-Movie. And that's what this scene was reminiscent of. I was shocked about it. I don't know. I just B-Movie is just this. I, I, I don't know why I feel this way, because <laughs> now that I'm really examining these theories, it's like, why why do I think that it's this like. Uh, pop this testament the this unmissable piece of pop culture like of course everyone's seen b movie maybe it's our ages i don't know but um i'm gonna remember this the next time i looked on your letterbox and you're just like oh man lucas is so cultured he sees way better movies than i do but <laughs> he has seen b movie though so ugh, yeah, that kind of yeah. cancels well, well, it out I can see B movie, but you, I won't reveal until I rewatch it what my my score for B movie would be. B movie <laughs> came out in two thousand seven, so I would have been like thirteen at the time. Anyway, yeah. it still might be a little old. Anyway, I uh, um, the the other thing I wanted to say about this, besides the fact that it reminded me of B movie, uh, is that um, another case of kind of Arthur, uh, even though these episodes were made long before now, uh, mirroring what's happening currently in in life. In that, like, yeah. I've seen a lot of news lately, especially in Canada, uh, regarding both the uh, wildfires happening in in BC due to the big heat wave, as mm-hmm. well as kind of uh, issues around clear cutting in BC and and cutting down all these really really old, um, massive trees in British Columbia. And just kind of how, uh, again, Arthur is reminiscent of these these very real-life things that are still affecting us to this day, to the point where Arthur's literally kind of addressing the camera and daring you uh, to care about the, the trees disappearing. Uh, pardon the pun, but worrying about the trees going away is unfortunately evergreen. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Ray Liotta, <laughs> Private Select. Uh, so Muff, the, the actual story here is that Muffy is planning a spring party in her backyard. It's a big to do. It's a crosswire spring party. They do it every year. So Muffy's reading in Lil Mogul magazine. <laughs> what a cursed publication. <laughs> about a bouncy castle that she wants to to rent. Apparently, it's a huge one of St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow, which is the classic, like, it, it's, it's, it's like, the, it's... Tetris. Yes, I was gonna. I, I was. Ash- I was momentarily ashamed of myself because I was gonna be like the thing on the Tetris box because I'm an idiot. Um, not to call you an idiot, Lucas. I think oh. y- you're you're far more cultured and uh, that kind of oh, thing. No. I also would have my my. It's in. You get to skate by it in Tony Hawk's Underground because I relate <laughs> things to video games. Um, it's also yeah. it's, the package is called Anastasia's Dream Palace, and this is mm. apparently it's it's so big as we find out, that it would take up more than the Crosswire's backyard can allow. We get a really funny line from Bailey where he says, St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow. I fear the Russian government won't take kindly to its relocation. 
Bailey's pretty good in this episode. He's very dry, and again, it's um, it's Bruce Dinsmore, and it's a really uh, all three of his performances as you know, Dad Reed, Banky, and and uh, Bailey uh, dem- demands three very different performances, and I think he does really well as Bailey as he becomes more of a character. So, you know, Muffy's initially very crushed. Apparently this is huge. This reminds me of when I used to work with Bouncy Castles. The biggest one that we have here in Halifax is called the Kraken. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Kraken, Lucas, but it's like a couple of stories high. It's enormous. And I was thinking, like, I wonder if the Anastasia's Dream Palace is, like, bigger than that, or if that's the size that they're talking about, because they... I, I would, I would think so. I, I would, I would think that, like you know, we we have seen the seemingly um, endless wealth that the Crosswire family holds, uh, and I would think that you know they're they're many times richer than anyone around here. Even um, I, it looks like they have like, despite being the owner of a bunch of uh, used car lots, uh, Ed Crosswire seems to have like Jeff Bezos, Ed, uh, uh, Elon Musk style wealth. Uh, so I assume if that's the best bouncy castle money could buy, it's, it's, uh, skyscraper sized. Edward Crosswire, Edward Crosswire. Okay. No, it's just, me. um, so Edward, Ed Crosswire has to say no to Muffy, but what he does eventually is he does a land swap with their neighbor, which I've never thought of the Crosswires having a neighbor, but apparently they do. Mm. And Anton, uh, yes, Anton is his name. And I'm just realizing something, uh, one second, because the, the, the episode is called the cherry tree. No, okay. I was thinking. Of, wait. So the episode is called the Cherry Tree. I'm sorry. I'm doing the Lucas thing. I'm Google. I'm googling as I'm. So okay, the cherry. All right. So the episode's called the Cherry Tree, and the Crosswire's neighbor is named Anton, and the Russian playwright Anton Chekhov wrote the Cherry Orchard. So I think that's what that's meant to be a reference to. Because and you and, and you say you don't have any culture, Will. Uh, well, well, you know, I don't want to brag, but you know, um, so that's what I think that might be a reference to. So they do a land swap where Anton gets the part of the land that has the cherry tree. And then Ed Crosswire gets like a, a, a like a, a deeper part of the backyard where he's like, I can, now I can put a tennis court in there after we're done. Uh, by the way, uh, he, I'll, he, I'll he, say that Anton has like. Very unique character design. In fact, he is officially the throwaway character of the week. Okay. He does not. He does not speak a line in this entire episode. The only conversation mm. Anton has happens off. We don't hear it because he's on the other end of a phone call with Ed Crosswire. But he's like, he's he's a billy goat, and he has like kind of a billy goat's beard to boot. Um, and and basically, kind of the only other thing we see of his character is he has like glasses with the little strings that like. Librarians have right. so their glasses <laughs> yeah. can hang around their neck, mm-hmm. um, and he's also wearing like a full uh, like dress vest and shirt and tie while he's doing yard work and sawing the tree down. Um, so I want to know more about Anton. You know, we only really know about one um, waspy, obscenely rich person in Elwood City, and that's Ed Crosswire. I want to know kind of what his neighbors are like. What are the other horribly rich people like uh, uh i want to know more about anton why did he immediately cut the tree down what's his deal 
Well, and what must be what must it be like to have the crosswires as your neighbor? I think that's exactly a, that's yeah, an, I th- I think an untapped more story. To tell with there's more to stories to tell with Anton. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Ed gives Muffy the good news about this over a hot crosswire bun at breakfast. Mm. So Muffy is overjoyed, and she sends the invitations to everybody. We kind of see everybody getting the invitations in a montage. By the way, Binky is eating a cereal called Cotton Candy Crunch. And it's all K's. Yeah, so unless Ed Boone um, was coming out with that and it's like a, a Mortal Kombat-themed cereal, that's the one <laughs> exception. Uh, otherwise, they may want to rethink that acronym. Perhaps. So yeah, like we said, as Muffy is excited for her party to go off without a hitch, Anton cuts down the cherry tree, which is uh, which Muffy is very upset by um, because it's a tree that has been in the on the crosswire land since she was uh, a baby and Bailey mentions even before that later um, she says to Ed like I loved that tree and he just says well, I wish you had said something earlier and I was just like yeah well why yeah why didn't you say something earlier but oh well here we are it's true. Um, we are once again kind of two steps forward, three steps back with Muffy. At least at the start of this episode, I was like, wow, this is like Muffy wants this giant inflatable bouncy castle. Something that's really c- quite frivolous uh, compared to, you know, a beautiful cherry tree, which has been there for uh, uh, decades and decades. But um, that's kind of an initial impression. So we get to see throughout the episode of this as an opportunity for Muffy to grow like a tree. Well, and I also, I must admit my own ignorance here as I did, you know, as I related one of the great Russian pieces of Russian architecture to video games, I somehow also forgot that, or forgot or didn't even think about the fact that cherries come from cherry trees. <laughs> like, I don't know where I thought cherries came from. But it was a well, little, it was a little surprising when I was like, "Oh, they come from trees." Okay. Well, no. Well, no. Will, uh, let me tell you something. I'm gonna blow your mind about you know <laughs> lemon trees and apple trees. There's a whole world of that's that's really crazy. <laughs> I don't know where I thought they came from. I really I really Aww. can't tell you. Well, you know, Arthur continues to teach us multitudes, I suppose, even in our our uh, quarter. I was going to say middle age, but, you know, our, our not, quite, not quite that old yet. Not quite that old yet. Yes, you can't. Wow. I was today years old when I learned that cherries came from cherry trees. Listen, I appreciate your honesty and, and you know, you're willing to be that vulnerable with the audience. Always, always. I'm always willing to debase myself for. <laughs> People's entertainment. I, I I had a cherry tree in my backyard. Oh, did you really? Yeah, my parents my parents had a cherry tree. I don't know if it's still there or, or what, but um, it would be difficult because the birds would actually – we had to put, like, a mesh around it. Oh. Because the birds would eat the cherries yeah. um, before they were fully ripe. So I, my parents, I remember, had a lot of trouble, and I think they might have now cut that tree down, and there's something else there or it's a different type of tree or what have you. But when I was a little kid, very similar to Muffy, I had a cherry tree. Um, okay, so while I'm down in the gutter here, do cherry blossoms come from cherry trees, or is that a different yes. tree? No, that's the same tree. See, I, I think that's part of my confusion. I thought that 
I thought that cherry trees only ha- only made the blossoms. I didn't realize mm. there were cherries to go along with that. Mm. I thought that was just like an expression or something, a figure mm. of speech. Anyway, um, yeah. Again, we could, we we could all stand to follow your example uh, <laughs> being being said here. Well, I love how charitable we are to each other on this show. If it was <laughs> if it was practically anybody else, we'd still be talking about it, uh, and not favorably towards me. So Muffy has a lot of great memories of her tree, such as getting cherries from it, kind of playing underneath it, and she's really sad to see it go. And they just kind of cut it down. Um, she has kind of a dream about this. And then the next day in school, she actually learns that it was, um, it was not just something that meant something to her because the kids are doing presentations on various environmental topics. And George explains the importance of trees as pertains to climate control. And we get a little presentation. We actually get like an animated presentation, a little bit of an infographic Mm. about why trees are important to, um, keeping temperatures down and and i really liked kind of the art style of this um, yeah. one of the criticisms that have been coming up over and over again about season 12 is the drop of animation quality um and this was kind of a good uh throwback to um the little animation art style changes and and the sides we used to have in arthur where you know whether it would be an imagination sequence or whether it would be someone telling a story or you know in some episodes it would be the kids drawings come to life there would be these different animation flourishes and so i thought this was a a fun hearkening back to to that and and i thought they did a good job um this is an example of there isn't a lot of animation so to speak with this art style change it's more kind of powerpoint style but this is a good example of doing a lot with a little um and so i thought it was effective and yeah no i i think that this is i mean if it wasn't clear from the cold open this is something with a bit more of an environmental message but i appreciate that you know they kind of you have to be a little bit obvious with this now and then and they did it in a way that was at least a little bit fun by the way uh we see binky present on rocks before george and then we see Buster beginning a report on mold with a piece of moldy baloney. Yeah, Biggie's a, uh, closing um, a paragraph is that rocks are not just great paperweights. They're also good for breaking other rocks. And then he kind of takes out two rocks and hits them together. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, we have Muffy telling Francine, like she reveals to Francine that she's going to be getting this giant bouncy castle. And she tells her not to tell anybody. And then the next day at school, while Muffy is kind of still reeling from the death of her cherry tree and like kind of rethinking her party, uh, Francine has told everybody, which which to which I was like, why are the Arthur kids all so flagrantly untrustworthy? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like are, are kids that good at keeping secrets? I guess not. No. No, yeah, I, it's true. It's mostly a plot device that the kids can never hold a secret. Uh, at least you didn't tell Buster. Well, yeah, but I guess the result is the same. I guess with true. Buster, it would have just happened faster, to your point. <laughs> Buster would have, like, put, printed up posters, though. Yeah. Like... <laughs> really, though, yeah. <laughs> um, so Muffy, in kind, of a, in kind of a haste, decides to cancel the party. Uh, she's just very upset. She wants to cancel it. But she and Bailey eventually come up with an idea to change the theme of the party. So then we go to the party itself. Uh, By the way, they have cherry blintzes, which Francine explains what a blintz is. I've never had a blintz. I'd like to try one. I I don't believe I've had a blintz either. Hmm. We gotta Uh, gotta get get Reuben sandwiches and blintzes. Blintzes. (laughs) 
I'll, I'm, I'm writing this down. I wonder where you can get a blintz in the city. Probably they somewhere. Kinda, they they kind of look like uh, cannolis. They are well, a little, not, not like really. A... They're like a crepe, I guess. But it, the pictures sometimes they look like cannolis to me, and cannolis are amazing. Yeah, it's, and I, have I ever had a cannoli before? I don't know if I have. Oh, well, listen. I know. I know yeah. I'm biased, but uh, it's it's probably amongst my favorite pastry dessert. I will have to when I'm at the Italian market for yes. a Reuben. I'll yes. uh, pick up a couple cannolis. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, Muffy reveals that she has had a change in the theme of her party. So she hasn't gotten the giant bouncy castle. But instead, it's going to be a tree planting party where they're going to plant new trees in her backyard. Uh, th- there is a funny moment where like everybody's dressed up really nicely, except for Muffy, who's like in her digging clothes because, of course, she was the only one who knew. And then Binky looks at George and is like, "This is all your fault for that presentation." And so it's like, Binky's kind of right. Like <laughs> without George's presentation, Muffy wouldn't have realized the ecological importance of the tree. Um. So, and I was I was a little disappointed myself. I was really curious to see how big the bouncy castle was going to be. Yes. So Muffy, nobody's really interested in planting trees, and Muffy's just like, okay, well then I'll do it myself. And then everybody kind of gets a kick out of Muffy doing manual labor, and then they just <laughs> get into the spirit, and everybody decides to plant trees. In fact, she gives them like party favors. Uh, at the end of the party and it's like seeds to plant in their own backyard and Pinky's like you mean I get to dig in my own yard that's awesome and people saying this was Muffy's best party yet I'm like okay I, I feel like almost anything's better than planting trees planting trees is something you get paid for you know <laughs> I, I understand what you mean I uh, but I will say that especially the part where she's giving them the parting the 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 party favors and and they're all getting um uh, uh, well, they're not, they're not just getting seeds. They get, what are they, like clippings? They have like, or, or little potted plants that That's are right. ready to be replanted. And, like, and, and, Fra- and Francine gets like a special one. Yes, Francine gets an aloe. And so this moment I thought was like super heartwarming. As someone who, you know, I, I have a, a few house plants and I, I care for them deeply. Um, and recently it was the one year anniversary of me getting those all of those house plants because I got them when I moved. And so I had to like repot them. And so uh, me and my, my neighbors in this building, I'm friends with a couple people in this building we all like gathered in the parking lot and repotted all of our house plants together and it was fun it was like a fun hangout it's not quite the same as as planting trees you're right that's a lot more manual labor but uh i thought it was really heartwarming i think like a plant as a gift is a really really fun gift for people mm-hmm. um it's always something that people are kind of really happy to receive because they wouldn't have thought to buy it for themselves and it's something i've tried to get in the practice of, of buying for other people when i'm getting them presents and stuff it's like oh i bought you this snake plant or i bought you this plant because um, when they look at the plant, they, they remember you and you giving them the present. And so mm-hmm. I thought it was really thoughtful at the end when uh, Muffy gives uh, uh, Francine the aloe specifically because that's a plant, you know, I've been given in the past or, or other people give each other. It's a very common because it's easy to uh, uh, grow another one from like the clippings from the previous one. Um, so uh, it, I, I don't know. I thought this was really heartwarming and cute, uh, especially as the way this episode wraps up. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfectly it's a perfectly nice thing. It's kind of a, a hopeful vision of the future at the end in terms of tree planting, the bird and the bird kind of perches there, and that's the end of that story. So, yeah, we're going to talk about the second half of this Arthur episode right after this message. 
This podcast is supported by listeners like you, and here's how. Over on our social networks, you can follow us and find the latest updates and some fun photos. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits, at ECL Podcast on Twitter, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com, and Elwood City Limits on Instagram. You can support us monetarily by going over to Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. If you become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to exclusive audio content like our new PBS Kids show, movie reviews, and sneak previews of upcoming content. Support us as well by going to teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood city limits store or search Elwood City Limits on Teespring. Buy yourself a t-shirt, a tank top, or a hoodie with the Elwood City Limits logo or an exclusive design by our friend Josh. Elwood City Limits is available online at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits where you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. Is it not on your favorite app? Let us know. And you can always help us by spreading the word, tell your friends, and send Send us a message either on social media or an email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Match break. Damn it. <laughs> Matchmaker, match breaker is the, uh, is the episode, is the story we're talking about right now. Arthur is trying to write something in this cold open. He's trying to write something in like a journal. But Francine and then eventually Muffy kind of keep bugging him about it. The, Francine is bugging him because, like, she wants to know what he's writing, but he won't say it's private. So then Francine takes that to mean that it's something mean about her. And then Arthur denies this and says, so it's something nice about me? What is it? And eventually he has to climb a tree in order to not be harassed. And the idea is, don't you hate it when people try to stick their noses in your business? Mind your own beeswax. This is kind of a, a weird opening for the rest of this episode because it's an Arthur opening, um, and and it's not an Arthur episode in the slightest. The episode's about Muffy and Francine, um, and also it's it's like what was Arthur writing in his diary? The 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 shippers are gonna have a field day with that one. Um, well, apparently apparently it was nothing about Francine or Muffy or Buster for that matter, who was in the tree. Yeah, I, I wonder, but uh, yeah. So the big story of this episode is that we finally get to see Muffy's older brother, who has been mentioned before in an episode or two, and he's home from Tallahassee Tech, Muffy's brother, Chip Crosswire. Uh, So he kind of seems like, I mean, the characterization is like fairly normal 18 to 21 year old guy. Like I, I would say, really he's, get a... he's definitely coded as like one of these New England kind of uh, again waspy, uh, well-to-do. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these guys that's in a frat, but he's not your typical like frat bro per se. He's more so one of these. You know, I come from old money, uh, uh, and I'm going to this kind of prestige. My dad, you know, Ed Crosswire, I'm sure uh, gave Tallahassee Tech uh, a big grant, and they named some sort of hall after him, and so that's why. That's why uh, Muffy's brother's in there. But, so I'm of two minds, because that all kind of sounds a little bit negative. Uh, the positive thing I'll say is, my man is dressing. I I, I kind of love that kind of collegiate style. It's it's a it's a kind of pet style of mine. You know, I love the kind of polo fits and stuff like that, the pleated slacks. Um, and his kind of cable sweater with the crest uh, over a, a white turtleneck. Uh, with with the gray slacks, I'm like, I don't know, this fits really working for me. I could see myself adopting this into my wardrobe. 
Uh, maybe you could be Chip for Halloween. There you go. Um, it's, yeah, so Chip, I mean, he, thankfully he's not like the, my father, Chip Crosswire, my father, mm, Ed Crosswire, mm. got me into Phi Beta Kappa or anything like that. He's not that New England, but he is like, I mean, well off, obviously, but he seems to be pretty, fairly normal. And thankfully not like frat normal, like normal, mm. normal. He's just in a fraternity. Um he and Muffy have nicknames. Uh, he calls her Muffler a lot in this episode, and Muffy at one point calls him Chip Witch. Uh, Chip, by the way, is played by a Canadian voice actor named Corey Doran, who is still active today. He has uh, done role- roles on shows like Wild Kratz and Cyber Chase, a lot of other shows that I also didn't recognize, but he's still pretty, uh, he's still fairly active. So they have a welcome home dinner, and they also invite the Frenskys, the entire Frensky family. We do get a little bit of Oliver Frensky in this one, uh, voted best dad of Arthur, Oliver Frensky. But he kind of tells a dad joke, and it mortifies <laughs> Francine. This scene, I, and I watched this movie this summer, um, I'm a really big fan of, like, uh, Wilt Stillman movies. Um, and, and, you know, okay. kind of waspy, old money folks. Um, he calls them, like, bourgeoisie... Uh, doomed bourgeoisie in love is like what his movies are all about. Um, and, and this scene in particular, kind of uh, the idea of like an outsider at this fancy dinner party with the crosswires. It's, it's really reminiscent of this movie called uh, metropolitan that I really like. That's basically okay. the whole movie is a, uh, is a series of kind of um, um, hoity toity after parties. Uh, and there's kind of an outsider who sneaks his way in and, and the kind of the, the, the culture clash that, that results. Um, and, and so this kind of humor of like uh, poor Francine's dad trying to fit in with Ed Crosswire and it just totally going Ed Crosswire's head, along with like the aesthetics of the party and like the way everyone's dressed and stuff, I found really reminiscent uh, of those movies. So it's a little awkward between the parents, but Chip and Catherine seem to hit it off pretty well. And then Francie and Muffy get the idea that perhaps if they were able to set the two of them up in a romantic way, then that then Muffy and Francine could be sisters. And this leads us to the frequent cut-in of this show and uh, of this episode. And by my estimation, the best part is that this leads to an imagination sequence that we vi- revisited a couple times, and it's a it's a sitcom in their heads called the French Squire Sisters Show, a combination of Frensky and Crosswire, and. I looked this up on the Arthur Wiki. It's apparently a takeoff of Laverne and Shirley. I never watched Laverne and Shirley, but the French Squire Sisters show, it has this cheesy opening theme where they're like, um, you know, riding tandem bicycles and stuff like that. Uh, the theme itself is very catchy. I liked it a lot. They used to be friends and now they're related. <laughs> I'm just watching it right now to get the tune back. Yeah, no, it's re it's really peppy. It really fits the it almost reminds me. And especially because the the episode in their heads is a, like a classic sitcom plot. It's like Muffy and France or Francine bought a horse or Mu- I figure I forget one of them bought a horse while the other one was out. And it's very played very broadly. And there's a laugh track, a studio laugh track. And it reminds me a little bit of when you would see Horsin' Around and Bojack Horseman, if you've seen that show. I haven't, but uh, it, it's as a fake show within a show, it, it totally, like, 
accomplish what it's trying to do, right? It's trying to do the send-off of, like, 1970s, late 70s, early 80s sitcoms. Um, and every aspect of it really hits the nail out of the park, from the theme song to... Hits the nail out of hits the park. The, yeah, hits the... Hits, it, 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 it accomplishes... Hits the ball, right, the ball right on the head. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like a, a bowl sweating in church. Um, they, uh, <laughs> uh, but basically... It accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do in that it's a perfect parody. It's almost indistinguishable from parody because the theme song is exactly how those theme songs sound. Even the way, like, they change the way the camera is framed to be, like, a little bit more sitcom framing. And they even go as far as to the way jokes are structured. Um, Jokes Mm. are given, like, space. um, And the timing, like, you start to realize, uh, and this is just kind of, a mark of good writing, the way the writing changes when you're writing for a sitcom as opposed to writing for a show like Arthur. They totally change the uh, timing and delivery of everybody's lines to make it more sitcom-esque, and all Mm. the cues are totally perfect. Um, I I think it just speaks to the chops of the the Arthur writers, and I'm like, man, they could do this for real if they wanted to. What's more, um, the actors, Muffy and Francine's uh, voice actors, um, Jody Ressler and Melissa Altro, they get to play their age. So in this sitcom, Muffy and Francine are like, I'd say maybe 20-somethings or something like that. Like maybe closer to 30. They get to play them as adults. And it's really cool to hear them naturally age up the voices and they sound great like they've done that before when Muffy and Francine have been aged up I'm thinking like the cold open for that um that like uh, all the president's men parody that they did a couple seasons ago and they were and they were like journalists so they played them up again and it's also really cool to be like this is what they would be like at maybe close to my age like close to age 30 or something like that it's great I think it works really well. And, of course, you get to see their, like, their outfits and stuff like that. It's just a nice little what-if into their future. I always really appreciate when they do that. So this is what they are. They are in love with the scenario where they finally get to be sisters. And so Muffy and Francine are very, like, blatantly, like, they're, they're really laying it on thick. Eventually get Catherine and Chip to take them to a horror movie called Leaf Blower 3. Yes, so the 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 Arthur Criterion Collection, you know, containing uh, ten thousand explosions at a supernova and Cresplane, mm-hmm. and and we're getting more and more fake mo- movie series within the Arthur universe with every episode now it seems, uh, and now we've been introduced to the Leaf Blower franchise. Um, which is kind of like based on um, the scenes that uh, Chip talks about. It seems to be just some sort of like slasher, like Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I know what you did last summer, Scream style, but involving a leaf blower. Uh, And it sounds great. And they they pick this, of course, later on when they're in the theater. Muffy and Francine hate the movie, but they thought it would be something that both of them would enjoy. And Catherine and Chip both are really interested in the movie. Like Catherine mentions that she loved Leaf Blower 2 and stuff like that. Um, when they're on the phone to each other, I like this line. Francine says, um, I, I forget if they were talking about this after the movie or not, but they're just like, uh, Muffy's like, maybe Catherine's not cool enough for Chip. And Francine is very uh, insulted and says, my sister is very cool. Well, maybe not very cool. But... <laughs> um, so they, yeah, they go on this quote unquote date. It's not really a date. It's just the two of them hanging out with their little sisters and, 
Muffy and Francine are kind of like bickering at each other to be like, like Chip didn't get her any juice. And it's like, well, maybe Catherine didn't want any juice, like kind of trying to uh, butter the other one up. But Catherine and Chip are pretty chill. Like they enjoy each other's company, but there doesn't seem to be anything romantic going on there. And so Muffy and Francine kind of have to reevaluate their plans as they go on. Uh, they get them to go to a restaurant together where it turns out they're actually meeting one of Catherine's friends. There's a reappearance of Angie, who is uh, way back in the episode where Muffy was interested, was curious about kissing. Uh, and she went with Catherine to that, like, um, friend date that she was on. That's right. Yeah, I, I love this, like, that we're getting more of the teens. Um Mm-hmm. The more, the better. I really hope like Chip sticks around, and I, I really hope we get to see more of like the, the Angie and stuff like that. It's a whole nother dynamic. Um, I, I, I suspect we won't get any episodes where Francine's sister is the main character, just because that's not the audience that Arthur is catering towards. But I right. would love it. I, I'd like if we got an episode with you know Francine's sister and Molly, and well, I guess Molly's not a teenager, but I, I love hearing more from the older. She reads kids. as a teenager. Yeah, though. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Muffy and Francine can't seem to get on the same page about this, and they eventually end up disagreeing. We get a sad reprise of the French Squire sisters theme song where they're like, everything's going wrong. And they have a sitcom plot where it's like the two of them are fighting over the horse and Muffy insults Francine's cooking. Like it's very it, like the, the the text of this is that, of course, that they're sisters now, which is why they're so close. But as we kind of said back in that, you know, in that uh, all the president's men parody where they're the journalists, this really reads as like a domestic situation, as in like their partners, mm. they're I, they're I, together. Th- this this sequence got the hardiest laugh out of me this whole episode uh, because there's they and this is what I'm talking about in terms of sitcom timing um, there's like a joke where they mentioned th- there's this dispute about the horse and like the, the gag is that the horse like neighs on cue um, and it's just all time so perfect I was like oh man yeah. this is funny it was very good I really liked these parts eventually they try and steer each other's sibling off of the off of their trail like in, in a really interesting way is like Francine concocts a fake letter to give to Chip uh, or no, wait, what was it? Um, no, she writes a fake letter from Chip that says that, you know, he's leaving for Alaska and he hates Catherine and never wants to see her again. Muffy does it a little bit uh, more creatively. She gets Catherine on the phone and, and has Bailey ask her like leading questions and she splices together the audio from Catherine's side. It's like a, like a uh, participate in this survey and you could win like a cruise trip. So that's what Catherine says on the line. And eventually she takes Catherine's responses and edits them together into something that makes her say like, chip, I hate you (laughs) (laughs) to to make it sound a little convincing, but this just ends up confusing the both of them. And they eventually confront each other uh, about why apparently they are hating and they hate each other and are leaving forever. But they find that out very quickly and the confront the two their two siblings over it. And uh, unfortunately, or or whatever, not necessarily unfortunately, unfortunately for Muffy and Francine's plans, uh, Chip and Catherine are just friends. And they both agree to this. And this is why, like, we don't know much about Chip at this point, but I'm very glad that he's like, 
a chill university guy. Yeah, true. Like he's not he is not interested in Catherine. Catherine is not interested in him. They are friends and they seem to be good friends, but or at least from this little time. But there's nothing romantic going on under the surface and neither one of them wants that. And eventually Muffy and Francine have to give up on their on their scheme, but we get a final reprise of the theme song that they used to be sisters and now they're not related, but that's okay. They're still best friends. I appreciated them going back to the theme song one more time. Yeah, not as much not as much to say about that second one as I thought. So let's go back to the cherry tree. Lucas, what did the, what did you think of this one? Uh, I I liked the cherry tree. I don't think it's the most remarkable Arthur episode. It's it's fairly middle of the road, and I think it drags a tad in the middle. But uh, and with both of these episodes, I like that we're getting more from Muffy, and this is a really good use of Muffy in that we get an actual arc throughout this episode, right? It it starts off with me literally shaking my head at what Muffy's doing, being like, oh, I want this, uh, this really indulgently large bouncy castle in my backyard, and I'm going to make my dad redraw his property lines to get to it, and which ends with us destroying a decade-old tree. But, you know, Muffy learns the error of her ways and I think the really like big highlight of this episode and I talked about it earlier when we were talking about the episode is really the ending I think it's mostly middle of the road up to that point but I I personally as someone who enjoys my house plants and enjoys you know the gift of giving plants to other people uh, I I found the the part where she's giving uh, Francine the aloe and saying hey this is a special plant for you I thought that was really cute Um, what about you Will? I liked it fine. Um, it's one of those ones where it is like it's a pretty straightforward environmental message, mm. which I suppose I've softened to because we need to start getting a bit more obvious with environmental messages because a lot of people and especially corporations aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it's nice to be reminded every now and then it's like there's a reason why we want to protect, you know, trees and nature and stuff like that beyond just kind of our planetary responsibility. And this was an interesting way to kind of frame that. I was a little I wasn't exactly thrilled when I realized that both stories were about Muffy, but as much as I was like, "Oh, no, two Muffy stories. If she's going to get any better, we have to allow her time. We have to allow her time on the show to improve." And I appreciate that she was the focus character in this one because it allows it to hit home in a way that I think it would be easy to make Muffy the villain in this story of just like having her be against trees and, for some reason. And that's reason. where I thought it was going. I, I, I've yeah. heard a moment I thought this episode was going to be about Muffy wanting to tear the t- tree down for her party right. and then like everybody kind of gathering against it. And so I was actually pleasantly surprised by it not being that. But by, yeah, by having the rich girl, like, have a stake in nature and the tree, it helps so that, A, she's not so much of a flat character, and B, it helps to bring it home that, like, everybody has a stake in wanting nature to prosper. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that kind of take about it. There, you know, they, like, there were parts of it that I liked. I appreciate that you got got kind of the warm fuzzies out of the ending. A little bit more than I did, but I, I I completely understand where you're coming from with it. Yeah, I think I enjoyed our discussion about it a bit more than the episode, but it's fine. It's it's totally fine. I kind of feel the same way about Matchmaker Matchbreaker. There are a couple of specific things, though, that I really did like. First of all, I like Chip. Like, I like the addition of Chip. I like another character, like you said, in kind of that teenage-ish, like, older teen um, area. And I'm and I hope that we bring him back eventually. Like I hope that he has more appearances because I think that having another 
person in Muffy's life can help to kind of uh, flesh her out a little bit. Because before this, it's just been her father and Bailey. And Francine, and, yeah. And, and yeah, and Francine. But then Francine kind of has her own stuff. Like, this really branches out Muffy's family a bit more. And now we can have the possibility for more and different stories. So that's always a good thing. And, of course, the French Squire sisters, as I said before, great. I thought that was a really fun way to um, continue that story. It, it was, like you said, as a sitcom parody, it was very well executed. I thought it was a neat little potential future for Francine and Muffy, even just looking ahead to what they could be like, you know, 20 years from now. And, yeah, I just found it very, very delightful. I thought the music was great. And... When it like in talking about it, there really wasn't a whole lot to the episode, and uh, I think that really helped to fill it out. And I did appreciate that in the end, like we could just say that Chip and Catherine were friends, and that's it. Like it didn't have to be like, oh, they're secretly dating, or they like they are in love with each other or something. It's just like no, they're just friends, and that's totally normal. So, again, fine episode. There were just some parts in this one that I that made me that I really liked. Yeah, I I kind of loved Matchmaker Matchbreaker. Oh. Uh, I I think it's it's a little bit of a recency bias. I think the novelty of Chip uh, really did a number on me. I, it's exciting to have a new character to play with, and mm-hmm. and really yeah. makes the the world of Arthur, you know, after us spending twelve seasons with it, feel that much bigger. It's like a whole new angle, and and I really enjoyed, you know, getting more time with the teens. I I really liked seeing Catherine, you know, interact with a character that we're not used to seeing her interact with. Basically, anybody who's not Muffy or her dad. Um, and then, like you said, the sitcom parts, the the Fred Squire sisters is just just amazing like that is definitely the highlight of both of these episodes but i liked all the other stuff too i like francine and muffy kind of working together trying to play matchmaker maybe i'm a sucker for this kind of storyline in fiction whether it be on like a sitcom or a a movie but i I, it it was kind of like ooh, will they won't they and um Mm. i i it really really worked for me and i found it to be a really entertaining episode too it didn't drag at any point whatsoever um so i got i got quite a big kick out of it well, that's good. I'm glad there are kind of misgivings about Muffy-centric episodes. Um, you know, I'd say they're still there, but as time goes on, we're, we begin to kind of soften a bit more towards her. So yeah, I'm it, glad for that. I'd rather I'd rather not have episodes where we go like, oh man, it's one of these. Like I'd rather I'd rather enjoy episodes. So this kind of leads us closer to that at least. From, from the beginning, you know, the Muffy character, it's not that we are saying that we want them to make Muffy an all the way good person. Because I think that would ruin sure. the, the opportunity they have with a character like Muffy, right? Like the, it's all about utilization. It's all about using Muffy's bad qualities and good qualities uh, to the best to make the show as entertaining as possible. Um, And in Muffy-centric episodes that haven't worked in the past, it's because, you know, in the episodes where Muffy is to play the villain, you have to use her like a villain and use her sparingly. And the problem lies in the episodes where she's the central character and she's just, like, horrible and annoying throughout the whole episode. So I think Mm -hmm. these two episodes are both kind of good examples on how to focus an episode on Muffy and not just have you hating her the whole way. That's not to say that you don't want to have Muffy have hateable moments. I think that's what make Muffy that's what makes Muffy great, is that she's this character that's such a big contrast from kind of the rest of the Arthur crew. Um, but I think these are good examples on how to utilize her well. And we'll see as, as we go along here if we manage to come more towards her side. But you're right. She is a good source of conflict from time to time. It's just nice to see her used more for more than just that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So, we've got another episode of Arthur to look forward to very soon. And even sooner than that, we've got some great Patreon content coming out. Uh, I will, of course, mention that next week we will be continuing our our Go Through the Bookworm Bunch. It's coming to the end very soon. And this time we're looking at one that we've literally never seen a second of, Marvin the Tap Dancing Horse. Don't know what it is. No idea. So we're just going in completely blind, and we'll see how it stacks up to the other bookworm bunch episodes also elwood city limits patrons by now you will have probably seen it on your feed but if not i would encourage you to check out the latest ecl presents that's right our patrons are getting the latest ecl presents episode a month in advance from the free feed so just to explain this uh this interview is going up for everybody in August, but right now it is exclusively on the Patreon. So if you can't wait, and it is a good interview, by the way, it's a real good one. I had a great time talking with the owner. Like, what would you say? The 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 person who ran the website, the the website curator. Yes, so I'm just gonna say admin. the own. Yeah, the admin of the website Elwood City Downtown Core, Dave Patman. I finally got to speak with. Somebody who I firmly believe is responsible for this episode, even coming in, not this episode, this podcast, this show coming into existence. We got to talk about what was it like to run a website in the late 1990s? What was it like to be in the Arthur fandom in the late 1990s? All that and way more. I think you're going to love it when it comes around. And whether you decide to listen to it early on the Patreon or whether you decide to wait until August to listen to it, you're going to love it. I guarantee it. So I want to, again, thank Dave for his time, and I'm really looking forward to everybody being able to hear it. But for now, patrons, please go nuts, send in your feedback, and visit Dave on his Tumblr. ECDC was an important part of the early Arthur fandom, and I wanted to make sure to give it its due. So that's the Patreon content for this week and coming up into next week. In two weeks, we'll be back for another episode of ECL, by which point, as I mentioned, we'll both be fully vaxxed, and we'll be talking about War of the Worms, and I owe you one. So we'll see what that's all about as we're in the second half of this season. It does go by quickly, even though we're on the two-week stretch these days. So, Lucas, best of luck with your second jab. I know that it's... Uh, it might. I, I know it might knock me for a loop on Sunday, and uh, we'll have to be open about uh, how we're feeling because apparently the second jab is uh, worse than the first. Yeah, I rescheduled mine so it wasn't on a weekend. <laughs> yeah, good idea. I, 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 we'll see. I might have to soldier through any kind of illness that I'll be feeling afterwards, but I know in my heart it'll be worth it, and it's far away from anything too, too important. So I'll do my best, and if. You might, it, it, hey, if you're a patron, you may get to hear me uh, miserably talking about Marvin the Tap Dancing Horse. That show's going to have a little bit of an uphill climb <laughs> to get past the COVID symptoms. We'll have to wait and see. All right, so my name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... How about those grebes, huh? We'll see you next time on Elwood City Limits.